There's always a plan. As I said earlier, we've been studying the book of Acts in a series called Church on Fire, and we talked about that the author of Acts was a man named Luke. So I thought it was fitting that with the Easter message tonight that the text of the resurrection story, we would read it out of the book of Luke, um, the first book he wrote before Acts. If you have your Bibles at home, um, which I hope you do, if you don't, I would uh, hope that you email me, text me, we'll get you a Bible, um, we'll, we'll, we'll deliver it on a porch if you don't have one, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23 and chapter 24, we're going to be uh, kind of hitting around a, 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 around a lot of the points. I don't think my message is going to be as long as it usually is. Um, everyone in the room is laughing right now at me. You cannot see them or hear them because they're laughing silently but very loudly because I can see them and my heart's hurting. So pray for them that they would survive through this message. But um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 and chapter 24. Um, and before we start out reading the story of the resurrection of Jesus, I want to start out with a thought in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, The Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. I want to say that part again. The Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. For, for those of you holy rollers who think that God sent COVID-19 to destroy people, I've got the, the crux to your theory right here. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Can someone sh shout amen? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. There's always a plan. God is not cut off guard. He knows all things. He has a plan for all things. And what we forget is that he does not cause all things to happen for his plan. It's that he is patient enough to give us the time necessary to discover the plan that he's always had in place. See, we, we tend to think that God is reactive, that this stuff happens and God says, oh, I can make that work. We have the scripture that God can make all things work, to, uh, all things work together um, for good according to those who seek him. We, that we, we have that scripture and we use that a lot. But that does not mean that God is a reactive God. Of course, God can make all things work that were never necessarily a part of the plan. But he is not caught off guard to the, to the place where he is surprised when we divert from the plan. It, it, it's not that God causes us to veer off the plan or God sends things to push us off the plan is that God allows things to happen and his patient is I'm going to allow you to find your way back to the original plan in the midst of a broken world. You were never a mistake. And I feel like some people need to hear that tonight. You were never a mistake. You were never a mistake. But mistakes have been made. And if we're going to live out the plan that God had for us before we were in our mother's womb, it says in the scripture, God knew us. He had a plan for us. If we're going to live out that plan, I don't know about you, but I've had many uh, different uh, uh, forks in the road in my life. And I, can, I know for a fact that I have diverted from the plan. If you've diverted from the plan, shout amen. We've all diverted from the plan. We've all gotten off the plan. Some of us never got on the plan. Some of us need to get on the plan tonight. We've never gotten on the plan. And God's like, I have a plan for you, plans to, 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 to prosper you 
you and to push you and, and to do great things in you and through you. And God has a plan for us. But through mistakes of our own and the fall of, uh, of, of man and sin, we've gotten off the plan. And if we're going to live in this plan that was always meant for us, we have to embrace our identity in God and realize something. We were always the plan for this world. And the world is begging for the plan to start working. Look at your neighbor and say, work it. Work it. Let me show you something in Romans 8, 19 through 22. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Everyone can agree that this world is in chaos. We're seeing it right now. A virus has come about and is taking hundreds of thousands of lives. We can't even meet regularly. People are not able to go to their jobs. We're finding out that a lot of people are doing jobs from home that, I mean, just to go in Walmart, you, you have to go through a line and they're counting people to go into the Walmart Supercenter. Like, it, it, th there's a lot of chaos going on right now. I, I mean, like, like I, I know it's kind of funny, but I went to Walmart the other day and I thought it was funny that they had buggies turned upside down to create a line that I had to go through. And it was like the Twilight Zone that it was like, like block things I had to go through to get to Walmart or having to um, not being able to go into a restaurant or, you know, a supermarket closing early like at 7 o'clock or, or simple things like uh, pools not being open in the most beautiful weather or not being able to come to a, a house of worship and just worship with each other. I hear people say all the time, oh, I miss coming together. We've lost a lot of um, um, simple freedoms, if you will, that we've taken for granted for. And the fact is, it's all coming about because this world is in chaos. It's falling apart. It's going through death and decay. And the, it says in the scripture that the, the earth is groaning and waiting for the sons and daughters of God to work the plan. Well, what was the plan? For the sons and daughters of God to take authority and run this earth. Just like Jesus did. There was a time when Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and there was a lot of chaos going on. There was a storm coming about and when Jesus woke up hearing the complaints of the disciples, oh, it's so bad, there's a storm, Jesus got up and he said, hush. He rebuked the storm. I find it funny that in that passage that Jesus didn't speak to the devil. You ever notice that? That the storm was coming and Jesus didn't speak to the enemy? And in, the, in this time of chaos in COVID-19, everyone's trying to find the source of COVID-19. And we always want to say it's the devil, it's Satan, it's the enemy. The enemy's trying to come against us. Maybe it's not the enemy. Maybe COVID-19 was birthed out of a chaotic world that we have not taken full authority in. Because if we were walking in our full authority, there would be so much order that a virus could not take this much havoc amen but we don't like to see things like that we want to put blame christians love to put blame on people 
especially Satan. Satan's the cause of everything. I guarantee you Satan is probably not the cause of most things in your life. You are. <laughs> the earth is groaning because these chaotic things are starting to take control. What's the plan? That man, the creation that is man and woman, that was created to rule the earth, would start to rule again. And we've got people that try to rule, but no one's ruling under God. We have a nation that's one nation under God, but now it's a one nation under many gods, and no one knows what God is this God and that God, and it's in total chaos because no one's ruling under the headship that is Jesus Christ. The plan was messed up when we trusted Satan in the Garden of Eden rather than God. So the only way to redeem the plan that was man was with the very same thing, man. You see, man lost it, so man had to redeem it. There was always a plan. The plan was for man to rule. Well, man lost it, and God said, now I've got to get man to redeem it. So God sent the word that created the earth. If you want to read it, go through Genesis chapter 1, that God created the, the heavens and the earth by speaking the word. We're, we know that Jesus is the, the word that became flesh. God said, let me send the word that created the earth in the form of a man to redeem man. That is why Jesus is called the second Adam. That, that the, he, he is the, the word of God in the form of a flesh because God had to redeem man with man. The, the, the Bible says that a seed produces after its own kind. God had to redeem something with the same thing. Jesus spent three years of ministry teaching and allowing God to reveal himself through signs, wonders, miracles, teaching people about the kingdom of God so that people would believe he was the redeeming plan. He was the Messiah sent to rescue us from, from our chains, to redeem us, um, as, so that we would be the people that would hold the authority of heaven in our hand. And the religious people today, when Jesus was teaching that, saying things like he was the Messiah and he was going to redeem the authority of heaven on earth, that he was going to put us back in right standing and perfection with the Father, the religious people of that day hated that idea. And they found his teaching to be heresy and blasphemy, the claim that he was the Son of God. So they sentenced him to the most horrible death that they had to create a word for it called crucifixion. And I could read the whole story, but I want to pick up toward the end of the crucifixion story of Jesus on the cross. So in Luke chapter 23, I'm setting you up for this, starting in verse 44. It says this, By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father... I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. I want to pause here. In other accounts, we read that the light was gone and that there was an earthquake. And just to add to some proof of the events, just in case any of you watching um, are maybe in doubt or wondering, is this Jesus thing true or real? The time that crucifixion uh, came was actually during Passover season. And if you know anything about Passover season, Passover season was actually held um, at full moon. If you know anything about science or anything about full moons and the sun, a natural eclipse doesn't just happen during a full moon. And yet, in the time of a full moon Passover, 
the sun had gone in the middle of the day. If that wasn't enough, there was a Roman historian named Phlegon who once wrote during the 202nd Olympiad, which was believed to be at the time of the crucifixion, that at the same time as the events were going on, there was an extraordinary eclipse during the day and that there was an earthquake. It's incredible the things that people recorded. We forget that there was actually other people on earth than just the disciples and Jesus at that time. People were witnessing things that they had no idea that was going on. And I believe a lot of times in the church we forget that the world's a lot bigger than us and we forget there's a lot more going on than just what's going on with us. And now was a time during COVID-19 and social distancing and all this stuff for the church to really rise up and say, look at who we are in Jesus. We're not going to let anything shake us. We're going to stand our ground, however that looks like, and we're going to proclaim his name. But what I really want to pay attention to in this part of the story, when an eclipse comes, the sun's gone, the father's turning, turning away because of the crucifixion and the horrible death of Jesus and Jesus breathing his last breath, is that the curtain was torn from the top down in the temple. And I've taught on this before, and, and for some of you that may know this, may not know this, the curtain was very, very tall. This was not something that was like a nine-foot curtain in the house. This thing was extremely tall. It could not be ripped down with, with hands of anyone, including someone as tall as uh, a Goliath, if you will. Um, and most people preach about how the tearing of the curtain was this miraculous thing, that it was torn from the top down, so it was torn from heaven to earth, that it was God uh, tearing it from the top down. It wasn't man. And all this is true, but I believe the significance of it is something a lot deeper than just seeing a great magic trick being torn down from heaven to earth. The significance of the curtain in the temple being torn in that moment, the curtain had a purpose. It separated man from the presence of God. And in that moment, when Jesus drew his last breath, the moment that debt was paid, that the purest lamb, the sacrificial lamb, took his last breath on the cross, the thing that separated us from God's presence was forever done away with. The thing that separated us was no longer a divide. In other words, now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, nothing will ever separate us from the presence of God ever again. And he is no longer bound to a temple made by human hands because the plan, there's always been a plan, the plan had been redeemed. What was the plan? That he would dwell in us. So the question is tonight, what are you waiting on? Because the only thing that separates us from God is your own authority. Think about it. How is it that we can become saved? Our decree of truth. It's not proving yourself. It's not living correctly for a certain amount of time. It's not going to church for a certain amount of weeks. It's not having to prove yourself through a, a, a sacrament of this and this and that. It's simply, I recognize that Jesus is my Lord. You hold the authority of what separates you from God. Nothing else does. Why? Because Jesus took care of the separation once and for all on the cross. The plan was that he would dwell in us. 
And yet, in the midst of crisis in our country, and even on Easter, I, I've seen it, I, 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 I say it all the time, but I get so sick of this when I see it on Facebook. I see all these churches posting, don't worry, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not a Sunday God. He's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's in me. He's with me. I don't need to wait for church to get back together to qualify me to get deeper in my relationship with God. The fact of the matter is, people, if you're depending on the church gathering together, it's a mark of how deep or how, rather how shallow your relationship with God really is because now is the time that you are set up for your greatest degree of going into a deep relationship with the Father because the thing that separated us once before is gone. So why are we scared? Why, why, are we getting, why are we getting pushed back? Why are we trying to depend on the church to overdo themselves with all this stuff and, and oh, help us, help us, help us. We're, we're so miserable at home. And, and God's like, but I'm with you. Do you realize that we're no longer separated from God? And yet you claim to be miserable in his presence? Is this okay? Continuing on in Luke 23 and verse 50, Jesus had breathed his last breath and it says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. This is a few verses after they took Jesus down, of course, or he's about to be taken down. Joseph was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. Joseph was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, in, in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and anointments and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. You see, usually when someone was crucified, they weren't taken down immediately. When people were crucified in this time, they were actually left to rot or be eaten by animals because they weren't worthy of a proper burial. They weren't worthy of anything. They were left to rot, left to be eaten. But the Jewish people did not want that display. Why? Because it was Passover season. It was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So they couldn't let someone just rot on the cross. So they wanted Jesus taken down quickly. So when Jesus was taken down, they wrapped him up, and they put him in this tomb. Sabbath was coming, so they went home to prepare the body later on because they did not have time to prepare the body right then. They needed to get the body away. They needed to hide the body. They needed to get the body in the tomb. So the women had to prepare for the next three days all the spices and all the ointments to anoint the body that was now in the borrowed tomb of Joseph. Why? Because there was always a plan. They didn't need to prepare anything because he was not going to stay there. There was always a plan. 
There was never a need for the body of Jesus to be prepared or anointed because the anointing was on him in the fact that he was pure and he was spotless and he was the lamb that was slain to pay for our sins, to, to rise and free us of all the things that we were enslaved to. And they spent all this time, can you imagine these ladies, in, 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 in true and good manner, they were preparing all of this stuff to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, we always talk about in church how good intention that was and how nice that was and how much they loved them. But do you realize what they're missing? Jesus has told them this entire time that he wasn't going to stay in the grave. And they're preparing for him to stay in the grave. We spend so much time preparing and tending to stuff that was never intended to be part of the plan. When was the last time you prayed and asked, was this for me? Was this in the plan? What do you want? I wonder how much time we waste preparing for stuff that is never meant to be carried through. You got this 10-year plan that you've been working for, and God says, well, you can work for it all you want, but that was never in the plan. Can you imagine these ladies three days with ointments and spices preparing and they were never going to be used for the body because when they got there, spoiler alert, the body was gone? Why? Because there was always a plan. Jesus was going to lead that tomb. It was never a plan for him to stay there. Hmm. We spend so much time preparing for stuff that's never in the plan prepping stuff that's never in, tending to stuff that's never in the plan. And maybe you've gotten off the plan, and maybe you're having to tend some stuff that was never designed for you. But make sure while you're cleaning up some things and getting back in the plan that you're not trying to make your own use of things that's not meant for the plan here on out. Going into Luke 24, look at verses 1 through 3. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew's account in 27, it reminds us that there was a guard set around the tomb. You see, the stone could not have been rolled away by the women. Quite frankly, they weren't strong enough to roll away the stone. And the disciples couldn't get together to roll away the stone because there was a guard at the tomb. No one else would have wanted to roll away the stone. And Matthew, 20, Matthew 28 tells us that it was an angel that rolled away the stone. The ladies were going there. They didn't know who would roll the stone away. They were probably hoping the guards would so they could give a proper anointing with spices and such, I'm sure. But when they got there, it was, in fact, rolled away. And in continuing on in Luke 24, verses 4 through 7, it says this, As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Can someone just shout, Jesus is alive? All right, I know we got an online crowd, but the, but, but the worship team just gave the most dead shout in the world, so we're going to try that again. Someone shout that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Verse 6. 
He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you? Remember what he told you? Remember that there was always a what? A plan? Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day? In other words, the angels came and they said, there was always a plan. Why are you looking in the wrong place? Why did you bring spices here? Why are you preparing to anoint a dead man? There was always a plan that he would not stay dead. There are so many times where we would be saved of a lot of trouble if we just asked about the plan before we took it into our own hands. The authority in Christ that we hold to bring heaven to earth always aligns with the plan that God had all along. You see, the plan was always that he would rise again on the third day because he had work to do. He had to pay a debt and conquer death. There was always a plan. There was always a plan. So many times we try to make our own plan, do our own thing. And we never just simply say, God, where do you want me to look? Where do you want me to go? There's always a plan. And we actually see the plan of Jesus way back in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read this in verses 1 through 15 to shed some light on the fact that there is always a plan. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I hope you all are okay at home. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. I I believe that I'm more holy than most people because I hate snakes. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. Let me pause here. In a a moment, their craving was no longer sufficient for God's plan. It was now something that appeared so beautiful that they convinced themselves to throw away the plan. What was the plan? You can have anything on this earth. You can take anything from this garden. Just don't touch one tree. Just 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 one. Don't throw away his plan for your life for something that looks more beautiful. And we do that so often. God reveals a plan and we're so distracted by what our eyes consider beauty that we get off the plan and we get distracted. So, oh, that looks great. I'm going after that. Oh, career choice. Oh, that looks better. Oh, I'm going to go for that. Oh, hobby. Oh, quit that job. We always look for the better, the more beautiful, and we never just say, God, what? is the plan. You see, in a moment, God's plan was no longer sufficient. They were wanting something more. 
Don't throw away his plan for your life for something that looks more beautiful. And maybe even more importantly, don't you forget this, that you were so beautiful in his eyes that he always had a plan to sacrifice his son for you to get back what was lost. You see, we always talk about with Easter that the plan was that God would send his son to die for us, but let's, let's get to the root of what all this is. The plan was always about one thing, you. The reason Jesus came was for you. The reason Jesus died on the cross was for you. The reason the father had to go through the pain of the loss of a son, watching him dying on the cross, serving a death of sin for us, was for you. There was always a plan. You were the plan. The earth is groaning for the plan for you to take authority, to walk as a son, as a daughter of the living God representing him in everything you do, the way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you honor people, the way you respond to the enemy, the, the way you bless your neighbor, the, the way you carry yourself, the way, the, the way you do everything. That is the plan. And when Jesus brought you back, you're now made to walk uprightly and unashamed. which is what Adam and Eve lost. Look at what happens in the next verse, Genesis 3, verse 7. They ate the fruit. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. You see, we always had the picture that Adam and Eve were literally naked, and, they, they, and you'll see that they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But it's not so much about the literal nakedness. What was the nakedness they were talking of? They were no longer covered. They were no longer covered in the righteousness of the Father. They were exposed to shame, to guilt. They had no protection. They were naked. They were without. And they were ashamed of it because everything they had, covering, the love, the, and being wrapped up in the arms of the Father, in a moment they lost it. And in verse 8, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I believe that so many of us are so far from the plan that that's where God is at today. He's saying, where are you? The man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Look what God says in verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? God says, who you been talking to? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? There are many times we divert from the plan and it's wrapped up in the wrong conversations. God says, who are you talking to? Who put that thought in your mind? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you would never be great? Who told you you couldn't be successful? Who told you you weren't worthy? Who told who, who you've been talking to? Who told you you couldn't succeed? Who told you that you were too far gone? Who, who have you been talking to? Verse 12, the man replied, It was that woman you gave me. Just like a man, always blaming on a woman. Can the, can, can the women shout Amen. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, 
What have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. Look at this. Blame, blame, blame. Stop blaming and take authority over your, your diversion from the plan and realize he always had a plan. And what's great in the sovereignty of God, he always had a plan for when you would leave him. And the plan is redemption. Look, look at verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your heel and you will strike his heel. You know who the he is that God is referring to in Genesis chapter 3? His son, Jesus. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, in the beginning of all time, there was always a plan. See, there was always a plan that no matter what the enemy was going to try to do, his son was going to buy it back. The plan was always redemption. I don't know who you've been talking to. I don't know who said what in your life, but let me just say something. There's always been a plan for you. You're not too far gone. You're not too far out. You haven't sinned too much. You haven't done too much wrong. There's always been a plan. And all he wants you to do is come back to him because he's there. There was always a plan to redeem us from the beginning. Remember that first passage we read at the beginning of tonight's message, 2 Peter 3, 9? The Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, no, no. He's being patient for your sake, and he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. So what are you doing, what are you doing in response to the plan? We always say, why is God taking so long? Because he doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to spend eternity apart from him. He is taking his precious time, not because he's lazy, not because he's being too slow, but because he loves you so much that he is waiting for the last possible moment to redeem everyone possible. Speaking of the plan and going back to the story, you remember that stone being rolled away? I want to Pay attention to that, because I think we forget something about that stone. The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. You ever think about that? We all, oh, the stone was rolled away. Jesus rose. Let me, let me read you a little verse from John chapter 20 and verse 19 after the resurrection. It says, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. His resurrected body could pass through material barriers. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away. So why was the stone rolled away? So that others could see in and be persuaded that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. You see, because even within empty tomb and the use of a stone, there was always a plan. It wasn't just convenient, there was always a plan. In the next chapter of Luke, I'm going to show you more about the plan. We see that Jesus was appearing to two disciples as they were walking from Emmaus. 
they didn't even realize who Jesus was until they began to break bread with him. Even in communing with God, there has always been a plan. They didn't remember him until they started to break bread with him. Let me just give you a little key to your life with God. You're starting to lose touch with God? You're starting to forget how great he is? Are you starting to to lose sight of that first experience you ever had with God when the Holy Spirit convicted your heart? You ever, you ever had times when you forget God's there? He had a plan for that. You know what it's called? Communion. You think communion is just a practice we do in church services to make ourselves feel better about what he did? No, no, no. There's always a plan. He did it so that we would remember him. I put forth to you Don't just wait for communion in in a unified house of believers. If you need to reconnect with God, get some bread, get some juice, and have communion. Say, God, I remember what you did. I repent of my sins. There's always been a plan for that. So after these two were having this experience when they remember God, in Luke chapter 24, verse 35 through 48, it says the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them, peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing ghosts. Verse 38, why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet, you can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do, it, do, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. You see, even the flesh of Jesus was always part of the plan. Not just to take the beating for our transgressions and our iniquities. Not just to shed blood for a covenant. Not just because of a law that a seed produces after its own kind. But also, it would serve to prove resurrection among doubt for the ones that would be called to begin building the church. And for us to see one thing. Even a dead man can be redeemed. And what is the plan? John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Church, there's always a plan. There's always been a plan. And it's time for you to get in step with it 
and do the work of the Father that Jesus redeemed us for. You see, if I could sum up today's message in just a sentence, it's it's this. Easter is not just about the the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection of you. Because you are always the plan. There's always a plan. And I encourage you, going through the rest of the season with social distancing and being at home and lack of work and whatever else, he's got a plan. So maybe we should stop asking God when is it over and start asking God, now that I know that I'm part of the plan, what would you have me do? Because I am redeemed. I'm not poor. I'm not pitiful. I'm not a failure. I'm not without. I am a victor in Jesus Christ. Sin does not hold me down. I am stronger than the enemy because of my identity as a son or daughter in in Christ Jesus. There is always a plan. And today... I remember that he redeemed me for it. And I will walk in my identity and with the keys of the kingdom in in my hand because of what Jesus did, I will bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth so that people will know him and worship him. And that this entire thing can be redeemed because it was always part of the plan. Amen.